All right. Today I'm here with Natasha Quaja, who is the creator behind Purpose and Chai. Um, she uses her life and her wisdom to educate us on Purpose and Chai, um, but much more. And today we're going to talk a little bit about the concept of ourself and our identity and especially when it comes to our own self-concept, our esteem, our, our sense of self around social structures and our own knowledge that we've gained over time. And I couldn't think of anyone better than Natasha to talk about this. So Natasha, so excited to have you here. Hi, Larry. It's so nice to be here. Thank you. I'm so looking forward to our conversation. Me too. So first off, would love to understand how do you look at your identity? Well, the first thing that comes to mind when you ask me that is my cultural background. I am Pakistani American, born and raised between America and Canada. And I consider myself to be a brown South Asian woman who's newly married, trying to figure life out one step at a time. Thank you. So I, yeah, just trying to figure everything out one step at a time. No big deal, right? Just figuring out this thing that we thought was adult life and now we're in it. There's no turning back. Right. <laughs> it's um it's something I think about almost every day because in your twenties you think you know so much and then you hit your thirties and you're like, Oh, I really didn't know much at all. And it really is this slow progress of I'm trying to figure it out. The person down the street is trying to figure it out, the person next to me is totally. trying to figure it out. And there's no one size fits all. There's no right answer to what life should look like for all of us. Like it's an individual case by case experience. Oh, for sure. And I know like a lot of when, when you spoke about cultural background, like that, I think resonates with a lot of folks, especially listening to this pod, which is, you know, we have been not only growing up with a certain sense of beliefs about ourselves, but also challenging them and reevaluating them, adding, it's like a Google doc that has like a shit ton of comments. So I'm just curious when it comes to you, you know, growing up as a child, what are some of these, you know, especially when you mentioned cultural, um, cultural beliefs that you were like shown, taught, told, um, and how did you integrate and reject those over time? So I think the first thing that I often think about is how English was not my first language. People are often surprised to hear that. Um, and, you know, we spoke Urdu at home. It was really important for my parents um, that we knew how to communicate in the language that mm. was native to the country that they were from. We ate Pakistani food at home. We would wear shalwar kameez in the house. You know, we were um, a fairly faithful family. You know, we grew up mm-hmm. Muslim and we would um, then go outside the four walls of our home and go to school. And then we would have to try to find a way to, I guess, integrate into mm-hmm. American culture and Western culture as well. And then, you know, you're a child, so you're trying to figure it out. You don't know a lot of the things that you may know well later into adulthood. Mm -hmm. So I was just trying my best. (laughs) That's funny. I was doing the same thing as a child that I'm doing in my 30s. (laughs) 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 You're just trying to do your best. And, you know, you're trying to find uh, yourself as you're also trying to find your place in this big world. Mm -hmm. And I've been, I feel like I've been doing that since I was a kid because you're reminded by so many people that yet, even though you're born here, you're not from here. You don't look mm-hmm. like us. You don't smell like us because then there's, of course, I'm, that, right? Of course. They're smelling like the masalas on me and stuff, which I love. 
you don't know that when you're a kid though, because you just don't want anybody, you don't want to stick out essentially. No. Um, so yeah, you're just trying to find your voice, your place and a sense of self. And that's something that carried well into my adult life in the sense of, okay, when you think you finally have it all figured out, um, I ended up marrying outside of my culture. So there came a lot of baggage with that in terms mm-hmm. of family dynamics. And then, you know, you even get online and you're trying to build this community because now social media is a thing, which was not yeah. around when I was a kid. And you won't always be embraced by people that look just like you or from where you're from. So you then somehow, for me anyways, I had to redefine what it meant, what I thought it meant to be a South Asian woman in North America, because I thought somehow at many points in my life that I didn't belong. And Mm -hmm. that's not true. Just because some people don't accept me or don't think that I fit the mold and that could include our own people or it can include Americans who have no idea what our cultures are about. Um, they don't get to define that for you. They absolutely do not get to define that for you and you define that for yourself. That is so important. And I think we all aspire to that type of strong philosophy, but of course we're human and every time we're challenged, it's like, oh gosh, like here I go again, like relearning that lesson. And especially the fact that your presence is largely also on social media, which is begging like a whole different identity politics, right? Like people are constantly telling you on your page, I'm talking about you, you specifically, and also you generally, who you should be. And it's really interesting because there's also like this sort of uh, entitlement, right? Like we, people know this, this is not like my unique idea of like, this entitlement to like call out culture, like we're kind of being the judge, the sort of there's a mob mentality going on. I was just watching a really good documentary on HBO Max about the 15 minutes of shame. Uh, I think every Daisy household should watch that because (laughs) that is so applicable. Like when they're talking about call out culture for the US, I actually thought it was comical in a way that was more towards my own race of like, We've been growing up with call-out culture forever in Daisy households. We have constantly been held accountable to the, like, the mob, the society, everyone but us. Um, And so I don't know if that resonates with you, like, in terms of, like, you know, our culture is kind of doing that. And I wonder if that was part of your experience, especially when you made the decision to marry outside of your uh, ethnic group. Yeah, no, it absolutely is, Um, especially because, and I talk about this often, Shame and guilt are so predominant and so at the front of so much of our culture when it comes mm-hmm. to Desi culture, brown culture, South Asian culture. Shame and guilt are often something that is embedded in us so deeply from an early age that yeah. it really is, especially as brown women, that yeah. we carry with us. You literally could be 65 years old and somehow you're carrying burdens of things that were implemented in you so long ago. And it can be one of the hardest things to unlearn. And one of the most common things actually that I get messages about is from fellow brown women, like, how do I get over this? Like, I have these ideas of what I want my life to look like. And then I have this big bag of shame and guilt right here, as if I'm doing something wrong, as if I'm sinning, as if I am literally just the worst person alive. And I sit there as somebody who's removed myself from it, a lot of work. um, And I go, but you're not even doing anything wrong. You Mm -hmm. literally are trying to just be happy. 
you maybe say, for example, fell in love with somebody who loves you back and treats you well, and you're afraid that it won't be accepted. You want to become X, Y, and Z career-wise that you think would not be approved of. Or, you know, you just want to be able to have an opinion as a woman in a place where we are often told that we need to be quiet and keep our eyes down and become the person that we are trained to be from an early age. So absolutely it resonates. Absolutely. Yeah. I can't agree more. And I just appreciate your comments so much, especially when we're thinking about going back to that kind of four component of like the self and identity of the self, like self-concept, self-esteem, social self, self self-knowledge. Social self is I think what defined our Brown experience for a long time because we were, we are continuously a collectivist culture that is so defined by it. But when your whole self, if it's leaning weight more than 25% or whatever percentage is healthiest for you, you start to lose control and balance and you start to be defined by that social self. Um, And so, you know, I, I really appreciate what you shared about shame and guilt especially, you know, thinking about, cause I get really nerdy about the fact that these feelings, like feelings have served a biological function. You experience pain to tell you what to avoid in life so that you don't put your hand on fire, for example. Yeah. Um, what do you think in your opinion, as you've contemplated this and helped other women, shame and guilt, what functions do they serve? I'm going to be completely honest with you in the fact that in my opinion, and through my yeah. experience, they're put in place to control. They are a control tactic. They're often a manipulation tactic because oftentimes in Asian culture, period, children are had and not seen as fellow human beings, mm-hmm. but they are rather seen as extensions of the parents, the, the larger family, a last name, the lineage. And we are basically born, a lot of us, not so that we can be our own individual selves, they already have plans for us long before we're even here. Mm -hmm. And so in order to ensure that we live up to what it is that they want, they, they insert shame, they insert guilt because whether they even realize it or not, whether it's a subconscious act, it was probably done to them. And this has been something that just gets passed down and it's a way of trying to get the end result that they want. No, you're going to marry this person. You're going to do this. Otherwise it'll look Mm. bad on this family. You're going to behave in this way. Otherwise it'll look bad on this family. And it goes back to as, as annoying and as common as it is on social media to see the whole low, like what will people say? Mm -hmm. It's really comes down to that though, because so much of what our culture is built on is trying to impress other people or trying to make it seem like we all have it together when in actuality, we could all be falling apart, but nobody ever tells you that that's okay, that that's normal, that most people are falling apart and most people are just trying to figure it out. Instead, we sweep things under the rug, mm-hmm. the same broom that they hand so many of us women and tell us to act like everything is great and to just go forth in a way that makes everybody look bad, on, I mean, look good on paper so that the secret can't get out, that we're all struggling and that we're all just trying to figure it out. Oh my gosh, there's so many things I want to respond to in that. And first of all, I agree with your piece of using shame and guilt as almost tools to control. It's, and if you, I think like go back to, that's how it's being applied. When I go to like, actually like evolutionarily, what could it be for? 
I wonder, you know, guilt should maybe helps you because we're biologically supposed to stay in tribes and we benefit from social like systems that maybe if you try to steal something, guilt is supposed to be there to tell you right or wrong, right? Shame is supposed to tell you, oh gosh, I embarrassed that person. I'm ashamed. Um, but those are ways to maintain harmony. So maybe those were what were they were intended for, right? Like I, I think about that. like, that's the difference between a psychopath and someone who's right. not. It's the lack of guilt. And I, I'm so glad you brought that up because my husband and I often have this exact conversation. My husband grew up in a Christian household. I grew up in a Muslim household. Mm-hmm. So many similarities, which is crazy yeah. for people who don't probably wouldn't realize it. But no, actually, there's a lot of similarities in yes. the core values and beliefs of how my husband and I were raised, even though he's African-American, I'm Pakistani-American, right? Right. We totally talk about how, yes, okay, that teaches children right from wrong, right? So you know, hey, if somebody maybe aggravates you or angers you, you can't just go stab them, right? Like yeah. that's the difference <laughs> yeah. between, like you cannot do this. This is like, you have to be a law-abiding citizen, et cetera, et cetera, right? You can't just go steal stuff. You got to work and earn money to get it. Mm-hmm. Totally get that. I think where our culture goes a step further is that we are not allowed to make mistakes because for me, I think it's important. I think that second chances in many aspects are important. We don't even give ourselves that as adults because we Mm -hmm. are so embarrassed constantly. We are constantly feeling shame, which can I just say in turn from experience and as I've had conversations, leads to so many of us becoming doormats and people pleasers in adult life. Yes. And it affects all areas of, of our relationship, not just intimate, our friendships, relationships with our coworkers, relationships, even with say a neighbor, because you don't know how to differentiate the true self, like you and I were just talking about mm-hmm. versus the self that is say overwhelmed with fear and shame of making a mistake or having had made a mistake. Totally. It, it actually makes me feel, I've often had this feeling of like, you know, that uh, scene in a beautiful mind where he's like, was my friend real this whole time? Like, what is anything? I feel that way about my identity sometimes because there's so much of what we grow up with thinking that we should be. And then you realize like, hopefully there are points in your life where you start to meet yourself and you're like, um, am I that person? Or did I think I had to be that person? Was I feeling like I needed to do this for my parents. Like you start to, it's always almost in a way, especially when we live, you know, a lot of this conversation or with down to Brown is like, how do we now resolve these identities and like live in peace? Um, It creates a lot of dissonance because you're in a country where that doesn't apply the same way. So I almost feel like you sort of handicap your uh, growth um, until way later in your life. It's true. I agree with that. I had this conversation with a friend too recently. Um, she's Persian. So she was raised in a very similar culture. Right. And it was like, wow, we started just having this deep conversation and we started unpacking how so much of our childhood experiences still surface for us in our adulthood and how it still affects a lot of us to this day, because you're not allowed to make mistakes. Um, Mm -hmm. There's just so much like, Oh no, like there's like, just, you can't do that. You can't do that. And then, they don't want to let it go either. Oftentimes, if you make a mistake and it gets held on to so often, you know, and then, I mean, I don't know if you had this lady, but this is so common. Do you remember when we were kids and it's like, we walked out with our diaper on or if we walked out naked, be like, oh, 
shame, 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 shame. Yeah. Remember that? Totally. And it's, it's like, like, why should I be ashamed as a child. baby? Yeah. Yes. First, and even as an adult, like that can then turn into other things for us. Mm-hmm. So we become totally grown women, you know, especially in a society that's not trying to tell us that we need to be empowered. I mean, granted things are changing. Mm-hmm. Thank you. Thanks to social media. But I mean, you and I probably didn't grow up in a time where we were the ones that were catered to on the billboards or on the TV screen. For sure. Even things like, you know, it's funny you should bring up like chi- like the childhood time frame because recently I kind of realized that in, for whatever reason, 2020 kickstarted that, right? Like growth for a lot of us um, in like kind of discovering ourselves. But in my childhood, I was very much a tomboy and so much so that my mom was worried that I, she told me that she'd pray that I wouldn't be a lesbian. And that's wrong on many levels, right? She admits that now she's like, wow, I don't know why I thought that way. But like, that was my concern. And they, um, over time, I felt like I was supposed to be this feminine Indian girl. So I did all the things I straightened my hair, I did the eyeliner, like tried to be soft spoken. None of those things are me. And I remember more recently embracing again, kind of this very different boyish, like Oakland look that I have always been in love with, but I just didn't get to own until recently when maybe also like, you know, I started to find my sexuality better, like a better relationship with it. And like even my sexual identity. Right. Right. Um, But it was just so interesting because for the longest time I thought like, that's the Indian girl I have to be. Right. Even though it didn't feel like me. So in a way, people might think like, oh, cool, it's your makeup and the way you dress. But you're like, no, it's the way I carried myself. It's the way I spoke in conversations or didn't speak in conversations. And it feels like I let down a whole decade of my existence by just hiding. Did you ever have that type of period? Maybe not the same, but where you're like, gosh. No, but I, I totally understand what you're saying because I spent a lot of my life subconsciously and consciously seeking acceptance from my family. Mm-hmm. And I try to show up time and time again by carrying so many of other people's burdens and being who they they wanted me to be. So while that may not necessarily mean like, oh yeah, I put on a sari or something, it was really mental. It was a heavy mental load, yeah. as I'm sure you know you you're saying the same thing. Where, you know, um a time I can remember off the top of my head is when I started to get closer to turning 18 and they wanted me to get married. So I started having 18? people come over. Yeah. So I oh, started wow. having people come over to the house, you know, the whole Rishta thing and they'd be mm-hmm. waiting on the couch when I'd come in from school. I was still in high school when it first started. So there was that. And I didn't want to at first disappoint my parents. So I would go along with it. And it always felt uncomfortable because these people would come over with their sons and they'd be judging me. You know what I mean? Yeah. And they would make really, um, some of them would just make some really unkind comments about this one guy was like, she's too short. So I don't want to marry her. And I'm only five feet. Um, but that's not something I can change or control about myself. So those comments were allowed to be made. And then I was told I wasn't allowed to feel anything around it. Like, Oh, that's normal. That's just how people talk. Um, even, you know, instances where, Unfortunately, I have male family members that would either like come off just really aggressive with me and kind of like borderline harassing. And when I would speak on it, I would be told, well, what's the big deal? It's not that serious. 
So I was constantly told Mm. to downplay feelings and emotions that would arise in me. You know, I moved to LA about 10 years ago to become an actress. That was not something that was supported. So I had to pretend sometimes that I wasn't going to acting class. I had to lie and say I was going somewhere else because I didn't want to have any issues or to cause any, you know, scenes unnecessarily. And then, you know, it it didn't even just come from my parents. I had other family members um, where I came to a realization maybe that it took me a long time that I was the person, I was everybody's go-to for a long time. Whether Mm. they were older than me or younger than me, I carried a lot of um, expectation. And that is way too much for any individual to have to carry. So I did, I feel like um, I sacrificed a lot of myself. The irony is that if you called them, they'd say no, only because eventually I gave everybody back their stuff. Mm -hmm. I said, you take this, this is yours. You take this emotional trauma, this is yours. Not carrying your stuff anymore. And when you do that, they call you selfish. And they would think that because my life at at the most current state, I live it on my terms, people would have like revisionist history around that. So absolutely, I relate. And I'm sorry if I went on too long. About no, that. oh my gosh. I'm so glad you shared that. I think so many people can relate to that in different circumstances, whether it is, you know, the order in which they're born, the gender that they're in. A lot of brown ho- households have this dynamic. And I think, you know, a sad way, like we're not even meeting ourselves yet. Like we are still coming out almost, yeah. right? Like as who we I truly are. Like- yeah, it's crazy. And I don't, I'm sorry to interrupt you. It's just that they really made me feel like warm inside when you said that, because I don't think that there's one true answer to that. I think that I always say we're constantly evolving. Life is constantly changing and we are rising each and every day to meet the occasion. And so we're not always going to be the same. And that's not a bad thing. I think mm-hmm. that it's good to have a foundation, right? I'm sure like deep down, there's a part of yeah. the theory that's always been there right? It's mm-hmm. always existed. And likewise. Right. And so I was going to say, like, with me, I've, I have a foundation that's somehow always been there for me with, without even anyone having to tell me, like, for example, like with purpose, that's why I named my blog Purpose and Jai. I feel like I've kind of always known what I'm on this earth to do. And I know that sounds mm-hmm. heavy and it could freak a lot of people out and it's totally okay. Like it's normal. For me, I've known from a very young age that I wanted to somehow live life in service to other people. And so what does that look like for me? And that hasn't changed. Hence why I even started these pages and talk about my experiences as a Pakistani American woman. Because I'm like, no, no, no. Like I want to let people know it's okay to change, grow, and evolve. It's also okay to have this foundation within you that's always been there Mm -hmm. within you. And it's also okay to not have it. It's okay to learn and grow and it's okay to change your mind. I don't think that's emphasized enough. I completely agree. There's no, it's, it's usually deemed as irresponsible to, you know, shift your courses or act in a way that's self-interested, which um, it's interesting, right? Like on one hand you talked about in the same like two minutes of coming across selfish to some people and yet your purpose in life is service to others. So there's this like contradiction that happens. And I think that's where we were talking about those social systems that stick us together with shame and guilt. Like when you violate that or threaten it, there's shame and guilt that's thrown to make you feel tethered and obligated to it. And in that way, I just feel like how many other women before us, brown women might not have 
who have maybe left the world without realizing their full potential because of this. Like, I, I almost feel like we're blessed to be born in a kind like born or immigrated and not because America's utopia itself. Um, but there's a sort of chance opportunity to reinvent ourselves and find a different influence on our lives and create some separation. Um, and some ways it's great. And some ways, obviously we talk about also in our communities, it's not. So, um, I think that's, it's really interesting when, to me, when you talked about the piece of like replicating trauma, right. From our generations, this is something that I've been thinking about a lot because, you know, um, my, I myself like had to kind of divorce, like my dad's side of the family in a sense, because it was very toxic for me. And it wasn't in a way that was spiteful. It was more like, I appreciate everything you've done for me, but there are certain patterns that are just not good for any of us. And I actually don't understand the expectations being placed on me. They don't really align with where we are at. Like we've grown up in America. Like I don't under, like, it doesn't make sense. People don't communicate in this side. Um, so no offense to them, but Right. Um, we're here now. Yeah. And, you know, I was like analyzing with my dad a little bit of like the concept of generational trauma and kind of explain, he was like open to hearing about it. And I was like, great. Um, so when we were talking about it, we were like, oh, this woman, you know, like in this family, she's like very, um, but she gets it from her mom. And um, long story short, I couldn't help but think about the fact that in the end, I actually do have compassion for those women too, because think about it, like passive aggressive behaviors that women do in Indian families and South Asian families, probably because when they spoke up, they were shut down. And it's probably because they couldn't voice what they wanted. They had to have people guess what they wanted, just get there. So I think sometimes as a result, you see some of this even in modern day trickling down, not because it ever served anyone well, but because that's like the way they recognize communication. So I'm almost like there's this repression that takes place that even though now we're angry at it, there's a phase where I at least experienced anger, like, gosh, like if it wasn't for that, I wouldn't be this way. But now I actually just have compassion because I'm like, they were also victims of the patriarchy, right? And the misogyny that that was taking place. It's not like anyone wants to be this person. Right. I agree a hundred percent. That's why I'm nodding my head because um, a big part of my life's journey has been having to learn the concept of forgiveness, especially when it comes to family members. And I could not get to the point of knowing what true forgiveness is had I not taken a chance to explore what made certain people the way that they are today. What was the root? How were they brought up? What were they around? Because oftentimes, I think a mistake that we make as human beings is expecting other people to show up exactly how we show up. No one mm-hmm. has had the same experiences as us. Nobody is going to be on the same wavelength consciously or in terms of awareness as where you are. And we can't always expect that. So specifically, I'm thinking of um, the women in my family who I don't really, I don't have relations with. um, And a big part of the forgiveness for me was saying, okay, you know what? It wasn't okay. I want to make Mm -hmm. that clear first and foremost, because I never want people to think that we're giving passes to anybody to do harm or to make us feel less than. I will start with saying though, it's exactly what you said. First of all, generational trauma is a real thing. Mm-hmm. If you take a minute to sit down, I know it's hard in brown culture because nobody ever wants to talk about anything. You can't get your elders yeah. to have these types of conversations. And if you can, wow, that's amazing. Um, but if you take a just a quick stab in the dark, chances are they were raised the same way that they're raising you. And there were mm-hmm. things passed down to them that were passed down to our grandparents. 
that were then passed down. And I mean, gosh, can you imagine the trauma that our just just our grandparents have faced with all the things that were happening during yeah. that time? You know what I mean? So um, it's about compassion and understanding. And I think that's so important too, because it's one of the best things. I know people say, okay, no, the internet can be such a bad thing. I think the internet is one of the best things that could ever happen because you mentioned how we're so fortunate to grow up in this part of the world. The internet came and it's giving everybody opportunities to get the stuff that we were given by growing up in this part of the world. And that's giving women all over the world the right and the opportunity in a sense to see examples of things that so many of us did not grow up seeing and giving them a chance to show up you know what i mean and to sidestep the patriarchy and to sidestep all the things that we were taught that we knew deep down were not okay yeah absolutely i mean i completely agree with that and like i know there are bad players out there which need to be like i believe like there is a lot of like you know obviously regulation and whatnot to take place um however i think internet to your point democratizes a lot of information that we wouldn't have known because also literally like people will we laugh at these memes now but you know how sometimes you see these things like oh i can't hang out today because my parents said i had fun yesterday um or like i you know i just like sit in my living room all week and like you're not supposed to meet with your friends like we were i i felt controlled for so long um, I wouldn't have even had access right to that information right. because literally you couldn't. Um, and right. so I think like the fact that, I mean, if it, if it feels this good, you know, for our community, I can also imagine for, you know, folks who feel in any marginalized community, like if you are right. trying to come out as a member of the LGBTQ, you know, community, yeah. or if you identify as any other, you know, thing that does not what you didn't grow up with, right. we just didn't get to see it. Um, absolutely. But I, that's what I was trying to explain to my um, father in this conversation too, which was like, you know, it's like this feeling of being controlled invisibly, silently is actually sometimes the most dangerous thing for women, especially like I, I could like, I'm dropping a lot of movie references today, but I saw the show, like a lot of people have watched the show Sharp Objects. And I don't know if you've had a chance to watch it. Yeah. Is that the one with, um, it's not, it's not Amy, Ad- is it Amy Adams? Mm-hmm. Amy Adams. Oh, yes. Yes. Okay. Yes. So yeah. I wouldn't say it's like entirely like Daisy culture, but there's something about the Southern culture that sometimes reminds me of like the Brown household culture, but yeah. specifically that show makes like very silently and towards the end, I won't give anything away. You've noticed that they make this yeah. point about women who are repressed and how they take out that anger. There's so much seething in them, but they don't express it because of this like niceness that they have to put on and like the men yeah. run the show. Yeah. So that type, I really felt shaken by that show because it was like, this actually kind of reminds me of like almost the horror story that could happen right. for brown cultures too. Right. Yep. I remember I was really into that show too. Um, mm-hmm. I thought it was so well written um, for anybody listening. It's a little dark. So like a warning, yes. like it can, it can get kind of dark. Um, but there I was like in bed, just binging it. And I remember thinking, I don't want to give anything away either, but there is this dynamic between the lead character and her mother. Mm-hmm. And I often say that one of the most intricate relationships is the one between a mother and her daughter, because yeah. there's so, so many layers, so many like things that we are now only coming to realize and learn about the dynamics of that type of relationship. Um, and it was so interesting because like Larry said, it was 
often what the show showed us was that it was about appearances and it was mm-hmm. about trying to sweep things under the rug, mm-hmm. which is something that's so common in so many of our households. But yeah, that's it's a really interesting yeah. watch. I really enjoyed that show. Totally. And the theme of like control. And like, if you, if you lose control over your children or your family, you lose control of everything. And I think that's been drilled so much in our families too. Right. So, you know, I know we've, we've talked a little bit about trauma and I I want to revisit that because I know that's something that comes up naturally anyway with a lot of these topics, but you know, we also mentioned as part of the kind of ecosystem of self self esteem So I imagine there was a time in your life where you started to make sense of these traumas more and you started to build this foundation of self-esteem. When did you first start to feel that where you were like, you know what, I think I'm feeling stronger and more equipped in this moment with my self-esteem. I don't think I can pinpoint one event where that happened, but what came to mind was I have um, an older brother and he's almost um, like eight or nine years older than me. And sadly, he's not in my life today, but he played a really big part in the formative ages of when I was growing up, when I was a young teen transitioning into my 20s. And he'd been there longer than I had, right? He'd been a part of the family longer than me. He was born first. And so he was able to make a little bit more sense of traumas and make a little bit more sense of the certain situations within the dynamics of our household. And um, I was just trying to figure life out, um, later realizing that I was growing up with a narcissistic parent, which is a whole nother conversation, right? Um, and yeah. that I remember him just trying to shield and shelter me. And mm-hmm. when I was going through it, he would somehow try to protect me and try to empower me. He would have me read certain books at an early age. He would have me watch certain documentaries with him. He, you know, just kind of be there for me as this like, amazing older brother who would just let me know, hey, um, you don't have to be like the things that we've seen growing up. You you can have more. You could be more. You have these great, big, aud- like audacious dreams for your life. Go after them. They're possible. You know? So yeah. I would say that though there's no one time that I can think of, he was what came to mind when you asked me that question. That is so great because I, I feel like sometimes people forget that self-esteem is not self-confidence um, in the sense both are equally important, but I guess I view self-esteem as like sort of the elasticity with which you can handle life. Like it's, yeah. you feel like, okay, whatever comes, I feel like confident enough in my abilities, not even like, you know, the things I do well, even the things I do bad, where I know that like how to approach this situation if it happens. And it sounds like your brother was really formative and helping you see that, you know, that you can challenge it. There are different resources and really pointed you in that direction. So that's super beautiful to hear. Yeah, it was, um, I like, I want to be honest around because we don't talk about mental health enough either in our culture. I didn't realize until recently, um, even with him helping me, how much I actually struggle with anxiety and I didn't even know it. It would creep up and I had no idea what it was to the point going back like to self-esteem things to you know second guessing ourselves to sometimes not knowing where we belong as we're trying to find our way so yeah that's just something that um somehow always finds a way of like rearing this ugly head and then you somehow figure out a way around it as best as you can no absolutely so one of the things you talk about in your page a lot is 
your and your husband really husband's relationship. And mm-hmm. I liked when we first chatted to kind of see like, okay, should we do a conversation together? We had made it explicit that you are not defined by this, you know, relationship and the fact that, you know, what happened with your family. And I, I really was, I'm careful because while I appreciate how honest you are about it, and, and I think it helps us a lot, like from anyone following, it's not what makes you, you, and that's not your whole legacy here. Um, so I'd Thank love to that. understand. Yeah, of course, because like, <laughs> I think that's the problem too, right? Like we all know that story from families where they're like, oh, and then they married outside their culture. Ooh, and that's like the one thing and you're like maybe they're doing amazing things otherwise maybe they fell in love um but um I'm just kind of curious like how did you meet your husband and how you know especially when you started to meet him what things were being challenged in your head so there's a really funny story behind our meeting so we've been together five years and I've been in LA for years pursuing my acting dreams and I was just you know trying to find my way which is what it always comes back to thousands of miles away from family, no support, the little support that I had slowly, but surely people started to back away. And so I was in a little bit of a situation. I was seeing somebody, it was very complicated and it was coming to an end. And as we were parting ways, I was, um, you know, I was sad naturally. I was just going through it. And I'm like, I'm going to lose one of the only friends I have that supports me, that understands me. And, you know, I sat down in my car one day, true story, I'm no word of an exaggeration. And I just started having a conversation with God. I was like, look, I was like, I'm having a little bit of a hard time here. Um, I am a little overwhelmed. And what I just went through with that last situation, I don't want to go through that again. So please just let the next guy that comes into my life, let him be my husband, because Mm. I can't take this hurt anymore. I was just literally sitting in my car my dog's in the back I remember it was raining and I was just having and I said I promise that I will just put my head down and work on myself and my goals until then okay so I go about go about life I'm like immersed in I'm working three jobs at the time I'm just trying to take care of my health I hired a personal trainer like I'm just trying to look after me during this time and three weeks later I kid you not I going to work one of my jobs was I was a delivery person at Domino's Pizza and I walk in and we have a new employee and I was asked to train this person and it ended up being Sam, my husband. Um, and so I didn't think anything of it. It wasn't like there was no love at first sight, which people try to ask me. There was no instant connection. I didn't even think anything <laughs> at first. You know what I mean? Like nothing. He, they asked me to train him. He no chemistry over the pizza. <laughs> no. And you know what's funny? I was actually vegan then. So I wasn't even eating the pizza that I was delivered. I'm not vegan anymore, but. Um, we actually did start talking about that. That's how we started talking. And Chris was like, I'm thinking about going vegan. And I was like, oh, I can help, you know. Um, and that was like, it was just quick. You know, he was getting to know me in the car. I'm not thinking anything of it. Then time passed and he um, he asked me for my number. I'm still not thinking anything of it. I don't know why it just didn't dawn on me. I'm thinking, yeah. this guy just really wants to be vegan. He really needs my help. <laughs> 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 um, and then, you know, there was a lot of missed chances with us like we were supposed to meet up and then something would happen and then finally one day I decided um I had like a little bit of a photo shoot that I was doing for something and I had my hair and makeup done and I was like, you know I'm just gonna text this guy like I'm just gonna message him and ask him if he's free today and to my surprise like he responded I said hey would you want to go out for dinner and he was like yeah sure and from the very first date um 
like I was really intrigued by him because mm-hmm. he was doing things that just seemed right in the sense of as soon as we sit down, um, he tells me, he says, hey, I just want to get this out of the way. I'm actually looking for a, my life partner. And he's like, I'm not saying it's you. I'm just saying that maybe it could be, but I want to put my cards on the table and say that I would like to get married and I want to get married within the next few years. So I'm kind of in my head thinking, wow, nobody really talks like that. Like nobody just comes out and is honest on the first date. And, you know, and so I said, okay, well, that's good to know. I'm, I'm in this, whatever thing that we're doing to look for something serious too. And um, we just, yeah, we started to just date and it wasn't, I like to be honest, right? I think you've come to know that about me. (laughs) It was not like whiskers on kittens and rainbows and rose mm-hmm. the whole time it wasn't why I was dealing with stuff I was dealing with some childhood stuff I was dealing with baggage I was dealing with just a lot of unhealed traumas that I was carrying and we had a lot of bumps in the road and we had a lot of things challenge our relationship and they continue to and that's why I try to tell people there is no perfect relationship stop saying somebody is relationship goals there's no such thing we are oh. all human beings trying to figure this thing out you know and so that was actually how we met and um yeah within three years sorry within we met in 2016 yeah within two years because he actually said on the first date like if this goes accordingly like how I you know what I want I'll propose in two years he did he literally made good on his word and we'll be married within the next four years which we literally were married within the next four years um so it was my husband is a very intentional person, which is what I love because I'm a very purposeful person. I don't like to do things just because I don't like to just yeah. waste time. And, um, but yeah, so that's, that's how we met. And, um, a, a domino pizza, isn't that crazy? Oh my God. With a domino effect. Am I right? Yeah. Like, this is such a wonderful story. And I totally agree about the relationship goals thing. Like whenever someone is like, Oh, the, uh, the celebrity couple broke up, like, I don't believe in love anymore. And I'm like, are you serious? Like yeah. there's actually like, um, and we have this false notion that also love needs to stay together in order for it to be successful. Like there are all these things that need to be challenged there anyway. But yeah. I, I really appreciate that's such a almost sounds like a very intentional journey in your own life. Um, and just, I love that story. I understand though, that piece of like, you're challenging things within yourself. And I think that's something that also, when I think about how we just try to pretend that we're Americanized, I'm like, no, as our identities with Brown women and like the households we come in cultures that we grow up with, there's a lot to unpack and sometimes difficult to um, sort of swim in the stream with all the mainstream experiences in the US Mm -hmm. when you don't have that figured out. Um, And so I'm really glad that you found someone who clearly was able to, you were able to do simultaneously both and also join identities together in a union. But, you know, you did mention like, you know, because you come from different identities that created a problem with your family. So I'd love to hear about that. But also I'm curious, more importantly, what conversations does it beget between you two? Like what types of ways do you talk about your identities being different? Yeah. So, you know, it's funny. I think you and I talked about this when we got on our phone mm-hmm. call initially, <laughs> my husband and I do not walk around like you're this and I'm this and yeah. this is what's different. We're literally two human beings who love each other and coexist. Does he know that his wife is from a different cultural background? Absolutely. Am I aware of, you know, my husband and his experiences as a black man in America, 
Absolutely. But this is something that we're like not discussing every day. Like, okay, yeah. yeah. But as far as like when something happens, of course, we're sitting down like when 2020 happened, you know, we're sitting down, we're having discussions when people are in, in the streets protesting and marching. My husband has come with me to um, protest for Black Lives Matter years ago, way before 2020 happened. You know, this was not something that um, I had to be necessarily taught about. I mean, I grew up with mm. so many different cultural, um, you know, backgrounds growing up yeah. in America, as well as in Canada. Um, it's more of like, a, we, we coexist. We know we love each other. We're human beings first. We're aware of that. And then, you know, we'll talk about things like here and there throughout the day, like sprinkle in things about, oh, you know, this Pakistani thing or this Desi thing, or I'll play music that I grew up listening to. And he'll ask me questions about it, you know, things as such. My husband's roots are Southern. So, you know, we'll discuss things like that. But I only say that because being on social media, like, I don't know the type of messages I get sometimes around the fact that I'm with somebody who's a different cultural background on me, it mm -hmm. kind of really catches me off guard because mm -hmm. we don't walk around like fixated on that. Like we have just, we have the home we've created, we have individual lives and then we have our collective lives. And I think you get what I'm trying to say. Cause I think we talked about this. Yeah, for sure. Because, yeah, and that's why, like, if you go back when I share this recording, like when you were sharing that you were intrigued by your husband, my eyes lit up because that's actually the word that only came to me when I met my, um, now fiance is that I was intrigued. And it was because it was almost like I could describe it as, as like always like leaning in further and further to be like, who is this person, you know, right, but it wasn't right. like obsessed. It wasn't, it was this gradual intriguement. And yes. Um, I completely agree. Like the, I might've even been not guilty, but I might have thought to like, what is this interracial marriage and relationship thing? Like when I think about like bend it like Beckham and dude, I am on a roll with the movie thing, Bend it like Beckham. And like when we watched it growing up, we were like, oh my yeah. gosh, it's like the scandal. And like, it became this like crazy thing in our eyes. It's like so forbidden and, um, kind of this like forbidden fruit. But right. the more I actually started dating, I was like, damn, interracial dating is hard. It would actually be much easier to go and date someone and marry someone who is from my background, you know, but it's actually like you start to realize like you're really looking at the person. And to me, my fiance felt like home when I met him the first time. Mm -hmm. And that was like the yeah. biggest thing, right? Like, yeah. and you don't really think about like, who is that? I forget it's not like the stupid colorblind thing, but you just, you don't even see you just see them for that person's name and who they are less exactly than, you know? Yeah, no, right. that's exactly what it was. And it's what you said with Sam, he felt like home for me. He created, um, he worked really hard to try and create some, something for me that felt like stability, which I never really had, mm -hmm. which is what I, I've sought out um, a place to feel safe, seen and heard for so long that I didn't even realize it. And he, he works diligently to try and, make that what our relationship is about so when people fixate on the other stuff it's like it's so much deeper than that you know what I mean yeah. like what we have here is totally. so much deeper than that and that's not to negate his history or the history of his people or to negate me and the history of where I come from exactly not they're what not that mutually is. exclusive right yes. right oh 
so much feeling from your story. That's, <laughs> it's such a sweet one. Um, and, but like the thing that, you know, kills me about sometimes the way that families approach these relationships is despite all this love and like how we describe, like they feel like home, like still there are opinions because they want to like, speaking of the control before, right? They're losing control if you don't marry or end up the way that they wanted you to be. Right. So, right. I mean, spoiler alert, you have shared that your family was not okay with this. So what yeah. was the dissonance there when, you know, you have this beautiful relationship that any parent would truly want for their daughter to be happy? I don't think that that's what my family wanted, if I'm being honest. Mm-hmm. And I can't say all of them because um, it's very specific to the relationship I have with my mother. I don't think that that was an important factor. And I know people will be like, no, that's not true. I don't think that that is what mattered because I've seen other relationships in our family that were put together, that were assembled through the mm-hmm. lens of arranged marriage and happiness was not a question. They can lie and say it was, it was absolutely not. Where I've seen instances of things leading to abuse and just different types of morally degrading parts of that the relationships evolved to and everybody tried to act like everything was okay. So I don't think mm-hmm. that that was truly something that mattered because I remember saying that to my mother. I said, I'm happy. And that was just shunned. It was like, that didn't matter. Now I will say on the other hand, not to give her a pass. Yeah. I understand why they think that if you marry within your own, that you'll just have an easier life. I understand. I really, really do. And I know somebody would probably want to fight me over that. But I get in the sense that they think that it'll just make life easier if you guys speak the same language, you guys eat the same foods. What they don't understand is that the what I've learned from being married and from just, you know, growing and evolving is that as long as the bigger things match, that's more important than you guys speaking the same language. As long as, you know, your morals and values align, as long as you guys mm-hmm. feel the same way about apologizing when someone says something wrong or when you guys have this mutual respect with each other that when things yeah. go too far, you're not afraid to reel yourself back in or for, in my case, get therapy. We have therapy, we have a therapist and we're not yeah. embarrassed to talk about that. You know, those are the things that matter. Cause you could be from the same exact country, same city, same freaking street and still not have an understanding with your partner. And that's what people fail to realize. So, you know, there's like two ends to that spectrum. I get what you guys, what your intention was with saying we should stick within our own. But then on the other hand of it, I could stick within my own and still be miserable. Absolutely. And I think that's, this is an idea I'm workshopping, like as I'm talking to you, but like, I sometimes wonder if the fear comes to, they did, I don't know if your parents immigrated from Pakistan. So similarly, my parents immigrated from India. And so they grew up with, similar going to different. And we grew up with us being different. We had friends from different backgrounds, like that didn't speak the language we spoke at home. And so a lot of those like nuances of like, will they get it? I feel like we kind of got like insensitive to it because we're like, well, yeah, my best friend doesn't understand what I'm saying to my mom, but like, does it matter? Like I love her. Right. right? So, um, those things I think became a smaller deal in our head. And I don't know if the parents feel have understood that where they're like, okay, they've actually, the things we're even scared about, they've had practice growing up in the States, like navigating. It's actually more about these core components. Um, Cause for me, especially like thinking of like interrupting the generational trauma cycle, 
I know I won't heal it by any means. I don't flatter myself that I'm a perfect person. I'm sure I'll pass something off to like my love for colorful makeup or something. Um, Mm -hmm. But I feel like it's something that we will pass down, but we talk about a lot. My fiance and I have like, how are we, when we run into a fight where we're stalemate, like we're like, okay, how do we, we're hitting a wall. We're like, well, what would we want our kids to see us model? And then we kind of work backwards from there of like, you know, how would we resolve this if like they were watching or like, what is our ideal climate? Cause we're very sensitive to the traumas that occurred in our childhood for both of us respectively. Um, and so that's one thing that I like, I really wonder sometimes like, when could I have found someone else who shared this for me? Like, I don't know sometimes if I, if I had just thought I would have this kids thing figured out because that person was my same religion or, you know, language speaking, like that doesn't guarantee anything. No, you know? it does not. And I think that's so beautiful what you guys do. I think that's such a beautiful way to navigate things. Likewise with a couple therapy, I didn't realize how much that's like, I, we started doing it too during the pandemic and we're like, this is so good for us. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Even not even when there's something going wrong, even just my husband always says to stay on the offense of things as well. Yeah. And so this concept of disowned is not something that anyone's been comfortable with in Desi society. Right. How did you start to embrace it? I think it's not so much embracing it so much so as I realized that who I am, what I'm here to do with my time on this earth is more important than how others will or won't receive me, whether they're related to me or not. Um, And it was a really hard thing to come to grips with. I think I also get messages from other brown men and women And they'll say to me, you're so strong, not realizing this has been a slow process. It's not something that came overnight. Mm -hmm. I don't know anybody who would be able to handle this overnight. But it was like I said, in the realization that, you know, I spent so much of my life trying to appease you all and to be this good brown daughter. Mm -hmm. And even when you didn't agree with my choices, in my mind, I was always like, I'm going to go to LA, I'm going to be this actress, and I'm going to come back and take care of my family even when you guys didn't support my dream, you were still a part of it in my heart. You were still a big factor and a motivating thing for me because I wanted to take care of everybody. That's what I thought. Not only was I supposed to do, it just felt right. I wanted to be that person that like my parents don't have to work anymore, et cetera, et cetera. So it was hard, but because I spent so much of my life seeking approval and seeking acceptance from them, which of course they'd say, no, she didn't. She's always been a rebel, but that's not true. Um, it's been something where when I met Sam, I was like, no, no, there's no way in hell I'm giving this up. I've given up way too much for you guys. I've done so much, even though it may not seem like it because I'm unmarried and I live in LA by myself and it's embarrassing for you guys. I've given up way too much mentally and emotionally. I'm not doing this anymore. So when I was um, initially disowned, I, I mean, I, it hurt. It hurt. and it's not that I'm not over it today. I would definitely say I have come to a hundred percent full term with exactly what's gone down, how I'm going to navigate it. We even have hypotheticals set up in case somebody tries to come back, what is required of them to be allowed back into my life because I work so hard to create some type of peace and stability for myself and yeah. nobody's allowed to come and disrupt that. Um, the concept of it is, it's going to sound crazy, but it's about accepting that you cannot control other people and mm-hmm. that you cannot make them see you or hear you. And that is also not your job to. So once I learned to relinquish that idea that I could make somebody else love me or accept my choices, 
it made life so much easier for me. I'm, you know, I, I hate using proud for someone I'm only meeting recently, but I'm just, as a brown woman, I am just so proud of another brown woman for coming up with those boundaries, especially because we're taught so much to strive for harmony at all costs that we should be the ones to compromise for that harmony. Even thinking about the layer of parent and child, like, you know, we see a lot of stories modeled where the children have to be the ones to like help the stubborn older parents, like none of it like helps iterate what you're saying. And so Mm -hmm. I think the fact that you were able to find those boundaries of like, it is really hard to emotionally distance from anyone, let alone your family. Um, I'm just so impressed with how you've done it. And I can, I think I appreciate you being vulnerable about the fact, like, it's not something that you just like, are like, now they're dead to me. Right. Like again, no, sociopath, right? No, like, it's exactly. Like- <laughs> and I think that's what people sometimes can have a misunderstanding of. I know they probably do on the other end of it because in their head, they're probably like, she just doesn't care. She never cares. No, you keep putting somebody up against a wall and eventually they're either yeah. going to crumble or they're going to fight their way out. And that's how I've seen most of my experiences in life. There was only so much that somebody was going to be able to take. Either they were going to break down mentally, yeah. which I've had those moments as well, or they were going to be like, excuse me, get out of my way so I can get from this wall. Dude, I totally. have someone I need to do. always, I'm so sorry to interrupt too, but like no, I, I think this one, I'm like getting so like, I don't understand where they think it goes when someone is bottled up and up, like pushed against a corner. Mm-hmm. I'm just perplexed. Like a, our culture has such a flair for drama. Like there's so mm-hmm. much narrative 100%. that's written, like the story, like, and then they keep t- repeating it. They make it even more like heightened, escalated, like how dare, right? Like we all, all heard in whatever language, whatever family Literally. member. Literally what you just said, because there was all, oh my God, what's going to happen to the health of this person? Because you're marrying outside of your culture. What's going to happen? I've been with Sam five years. Right. But everybody's still alive and kicking. It was all yeah. <laughs> None of you died. None of you like... The right. whole freaking Pakistani drama, Bollywood films, none of it happened. There's no Amita Bachchan. There's no Jaya Bachchan, like, hurled over. Right. You know, Shah Khan is not running from the helicopter. Like, it's not going down like that. And that goes back to the control thing that you and I talked about, mm-hmm. about the shame and the, and the whole thing, the guilt. Because that's what it, and I'm so glad you said that. Because you mentioned the word about how harmony, we're taught to keep everything harmonious, right? Mm-hmm. But that's for everybody else what happens inside of here? Nobody ever wants to talk about that. You literally bottle things up for too long. What do you think is going to happen? What happens to a pressure cooker? You know, when it's on the stove or whatever, what happens to a pot of boiling water? It it eventually simmers over, you know, because it can only take so much. And that's the one thing that I try to empower other brown kids to know as well is how long are you going to make sacrifices for other people? Because what happens to your joy? What happens to Mm -hmm. your life? What happens when you get to the end of your life and you're 70 something years old? What did you do for yourself? And depending on what faith you have, when you meet your maker and they say, what did you do with this one life that I gave you? How do you answer that? I sacrificed for everybody else. I gave up everything. You don't get a gold medal for giving up for everything for everybody else. No, that's where the misconception comes in. There's no award. That's what perpetuates that cycle is because there's no award. So then there's this sense of entitlement that's always floating, and suddenly they cash it in. They're like, "But I've sacrificed all this for you. You owe me now." 
or like you owe this now. And it just creates this really unhealthy dependency and like this pretense of love, but actually this type of uh, transactional dynamic of like, I have sacrificed because for you, now you owe me. And you might be totally unaware of this invisible contract you signed at birth or whatever time (laughs) frame. And you're like, wait, what? (laughs) You know, and it it really can fuck over the whole thing. And then most likely you go separate ways because the person who's maybe more modern or Americanized is like, no thanks. Like this isn't what I was taught or it doesn't sit well with me anymore. I'm breaking this. And you see all these distinctions. Like we're not the first two women to talk about brown communities, not separating now within their own families. Right. Nope. And then you said it perfectly. It's transactional. I've come to the realization I have to, I always try to teach other people this. You didn't ask to be born. It was their job when they walked into this world. That's not something that you need to carry over your head. You need to, you can respect their struggle as immigrants to this country and their hardships and still be allowed to have your own experiences that hurt you, that bothered you, that allowed ah. you to feel something. Because we don't give ourselves enough grace for things like that. Oh, absolutely. Girl, amen. So I know we're nearing on time. I could go on with this like forever with you because I feel like I found my soulmate. Um, but like platonic, not trying to create competition for Sam. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> Sorry, Sam. You're so good. <laughs> Order of Domino's right now. <laughs> you know, she's like, well, her dog comes before me, even though I'm her husband. So I don't care. Oh, There's yeah. probably other friends that come before me. You know, just joking. The not about the is... dog part. The dog is my heart first. But... Oh, yeah. I know. No, same here. I'm like, Isla, Anton. Um, but um, no events. Uh, my last question for you is like daily, like as you are you know, we're talking about this in retrospect and how we thought about it, you know, now looking back on experiences, but every single day, how do you choose to be free from these press pressures of assimilating and the stigmas that come in our culture of being South Asian? How are you actively choosing that every day? It's a conscious decision. Every morning when I open my eyes and my feet hit the ground, I choose me first and foremost. I come before my husband, I come before anybody. And that's something that he's empowered me to do as well. As soon as I get up, I, it's my healthcare routine is a big part of me remembering who I am and what it is that I'm here to do. I meditate, I move my body, I exercise, I'm writing, I'm planning out my posts for purpose and joy. I am, you know, reading things that are going to help further empower me, not even just empower me. I'm consciously aware that I am a brown woman first. So I am doing things every single day. I am listening to podcasts about financial independence and financial literacy. These are all things I kid you not, Larry, like if you ever like were like a fly on the wall in my, in my every day, you'd see everything is intentional down to what I even eat. Everything. And that's not to say that, you know, don't live a carefree life. It's not that I don't live a, you know, but I am constantly aware of who I am, what my purpose is, what is it that I'm here to do, what it is that others expected me to do, what is it that I decided to go in the opposite direction of, and how will that require me to show up as the best version with whatever tools I currently have. And like I said, for me, that means take care of your health, take care of your mind, take care of your body and spirit, and do things that are a part of the bigger picture of Hey, so I can show up tomorrow and still be here and maybe let other brown women and men know 
I can get to happiness. I've been through so much crap. So can you, it's possible for you. That is so well said. And I, I seriously like such a crush on you. Like I, I feel so similarly about the intentionality and it's, yeah. it's just a way to feel like there's a North light on your day, like literally every day. Oh, absolutely. And, and so not every day is going to be easy. Not mm-hmm. every day is going to be easy. I have had um, a very, very, very challenging last year and a half. I know we all have with the pandemic and then I was yeah. dealing with some things personally as well. Um, and it's, even as you're going through things, it's about the reminder that you matter. We have to tell ourselves that you're important and you got to get up and do things for you in order to keep putting that foot in front of the other and knowing that you and your presence in this earth matter and that whatever it is that you have to bring to the table is worthy of so much more than what you may have thought it would have been having conversations with myself in my head aren't we all um so i'm i've always been curious since i was little i'm constantly asking questions of myself and i'm constantly asking questions of even people around me because i always want to know more how can we how can we get to know each other better how can we get to know ourselves better um so i definitely think it's the conversations and being mindful of the words that i'm using to even talk to not only you but myself absolutely cannot agree more what is the one song you can play and instantly have a dance party for one with oh my gosh i don't know why the first song that came to mind was lovely day by bill withers yes it's in my top three um right now it seems like every dick of the fashion is in so you're gonna see the 80s 90s 70s which one is your favorite anything that involves sweatpants Mm, yes (laughs) (laughs) what is your favorite meal uh, the first thing that came to mind was Briani. I don't know if I necessarily have one favorite, but that's the first thing that came to mind. Classic. I love that. Yeah. All right, Natasha, thank you so much for being on Down to Brown. I feel like we could have gone for hours, like the topics would barely scratch the surface. So thank you for opening up and sharing your experiences. I'm so honored to have met you. You too, Larry. Thank you. I got chills. I felt the same. Thank you for doing what you do. It is so important that we hold up more spaces as brown women unapologetically and have these conversations because this is how real change begins. I hope so. All right, Natasha, I was, I will obviously cut this part out, but seriously, thank you. I meant every word. A lot of the things you were saying, I was like, dude, I feel that. So thank you so much for just being another soul out there doing this work. Thank you, Larry. I really do have chills. Um, This is the better part of social media when you get to meet people and have these conversations. Totally. I completely agree. Thank you for even thinking of me. Thank you for taking the time and even creating all of this. Like, thank you. Oh my gosh. I I would love to actually like, you know, after this episode and stuff, and I'm planning to release it next week. So probably like Mm -hmm. Tuesday of next week. Um, But I'd love to just keep in touch and like bounce ideas off of you too. Like I have some things I'm like marinating on and would love like Mm -hmm. another mind to like think it through if you're open to it. Absolutely. You just shoot me a message and um, I'm trying to be a little bit more mindful of my phone usage. So if I don't respond right away, I will, I promise I'll get back to you though. Yeah, for sure. So I can always like present. email you too. Yes. Oh, just, that's yeah. probably better. Yeah. Because I'm just yeah. trying to, I realized recently that I've been doing a lot of life on autopilot and I don't want to do that anymore. I really want to be more present. So I've been just more totally consciously agree. aware of how much time I'm spending on screens and, um, Literally, it's going to sound so stupid, but even walking birdie in the morning when I go on our long walks, 
I would be looking for podcasts to listen to. I'd constantly be on my phone while we're walking. And I recently stopped doing that. And something hit me that I was actually able to hear the leaves crunching under my, my shoe. And I could hear the sound a car makes after it's even, it's yes. long gone. And I yeah. went, this is what being present feels like. And I want more of this. And even when my husband's talking to me, I don't want to be scrolling and only half listening. Yes. So exactly. some changes that I've been making in my life and not no, reaching totally for the phone. Agree. I don't reach for the phone until after 8 a.m. Because I was like, no, I can't keep doing this to myself because it can be, it can be a lot. Yeah, and I know that. It, it gets sucked into the notification game, right? We want to have zero. Right. So we'll like respond to this right. response. Then there's a reply and you're like, okay, well, I guess an hour has passed and I didn't get to do yeah. what I was intending to for yeah. my own just time. And I was going to say, it's so important. Sorry, I know I'm keeping you. I want to be able to put out more content that's mindful. And yes. when we're doing so, I can only do that if I take away time from constantly receiving information and give that time back to actually creating with what mm-hmm. I know. 